Welcome to episode number 40 of the Presentable Podcast. I'm Jeff Veen, and this week we're talking to Molly Stevens. She's the Director of User Experience Research for Uber, and we talk about what it's like to manage qualitative research with a distributed team for a company that does business in countries around the world. So let's get right to it. Let's see. Let's catch up. Uh, last time we were uh, hanging out was like 10 years ago at Google, or maybe even longer ago. Longer than yeah. that. Maybe 11 years yeah. ago or something like that. 11. You, sure. uh, you were doing user research for the ads products. Is that right? Correct. I spent eight years at Google. The majority of the time I was in um, the ads and commerce area. Yeah, we intersected a little bit. I was doing analytics, which wasn't yet part of it. Well, it wasn't part of anything because we kind of started from scratch, but wasn't yet part of ads, but then kind of moved into that area because that was kind of the point. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And you are at Uber now. I am at Uber. How, yeah, long, so how long have you been at Uber? I've been there almost two years. Oh, um, cool. I joined um, to manage the driver research team uh, to focus on trying to make um, the driver experience better. Um, and then when my boss left, excuse me, <clears throat> Um, I took over managing the whole user research team globally. Wow. I've been doing that just over a year, and that's been a great experience so far. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I bet it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. Um, but, like, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, from my experience with friends that work in places that are in the media a lot, Mm-hmm. Their their experience from news coverage is so different from the lived experience of day to day in their job that I, that I find like they're incomparable, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just another example of just how little we know about what goes on inside of all companies. Like I have some friends at Apple, and I yeah. listen to like all of the Apple podcasts, and like what I hear from them and what I hear from the podcast, like the de- the delta there is remarkable, in that it's just people doing their jobs every day, right? So. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have I got a lot of questions about like a global research team. The growth of Uber internationally has been phenomenal. Like trying to keep up with all of that. Like I don't know what's the job like. Yeah, <laughs> I'll start with um, that question. Well, I you know kind of to your earlier point, uh, I didn't know what it would be like at Uber. Um, I'd heard a lot of stories, as many people do. Um, and I had a couple of friends who I reached out to who worked there and they have very positive things to say. Um, but you know, you never know till you get in there. And so I think, I think for me, one of the best surprises has been how fantastic it's been. Um, you know, the, the mission of the company, the goal to try and, you know, make transportation more available to a wide variety of folks all over the world, um, is really compelling. Um, and when you hear the stories of, you know, riders who've been able to get home, they couldn't afford a safe way to get home after hours in the past and they'd have to walk. Or you hear from drivers who are able to um, care for aging parents while also um, still making a living. Um, it, it's, I'm re- I've become really, pa- really passionate about the mission. Um, and to your, you know, around the global piece, um, that is, also one of the things that I get very inspired about. Um, when I was at Google, um, as fantastic as Google was at growing and, you know, being useful internationally, I never felt like they were very deliberate about being culturally relevant locally. And it, it's yeah. like they kind of stumbled into being international. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. It's like, what well, turns out people use search from all over the place. Who knew? Right. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. And, um, and so 
you know, I had worked at Google in New York um, and then I moved to China and I worked at Google in Shanghai. And I still never really had that that feeling that um, there was a commitment to understanding a local culture and being very relevant there. Um, and that's something I feel very differently at Uber. So Uber has had from the very beginning a very um, targeted local approach to making sure that where they're launching and how they're launching, it has a local flavor, right? It has a, um, you know, if you're lo- uh, launching in um, Southern Brazil, you know, trying to understand why, you know, what people might use Uber for primarily there, how are they going to be re- locally relevant? And I think that's part of the reason why they've grown so fast globally. So we're in over 700 cities and I think 78 countries now. Um, so it's just the, the scale is massive. Um, and, and the ability to be culturally relevant, I think has really helped with that. Right. Um, and so that's been very exciting. So is your team as distributed as the, the business itself is? Um, so we try and place researchers, um, you know, with product managers, engineers, and designers, um, so that they can be as effective as possible. Um, but we we do actually have a fair number of researchers located outside of the U.S. who are not um, not directly located with product design and engineering. Um, in you know, in part because we just need to have culturally, you know, local folks uh, on the ground. So I'd say about a quarter of my team is outside the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what's the scope of your team? How many people is that? I'm curious. Um, it's more than 50. Okay, uh, that's, so that's significant. Yeah, Yeah, and it's pretty sizable for um, for a company this size. So I know at, um, at Google there were a lot of discussions about ratios and what's the right ratio for this, that, and the other thing. And you know, if we were to look at the ratios, they're much. Um, we have a lot more research than um there had been in the past at um, tech companies, uh-huh. um, definitely a much bigger investment in there. And I, I think that's in part because of the global piece. And it's, it's in part because uh, Uber has a lot of data and a lot of the data we have is quantitative. Uh, and it's quite challenging sometimes to understand the quantitative data uh, without the qualitative, without the story behind it. Um, so our best partnerships um, and uh, impacts come from when we're able to partner with our data scientists uh, and really tell the full story. Do you? I got tons of questions for you, but let me p- focus on that one last bit. Sure. Um, uh-huh. do, do you uh, do you feel like the influence between qualitative and quantitative has parity at the at the organization, or uh, is, is it? Because uh, I, I hear about you know. The, the data analytics driving the decisions of the company all the time. I wonder, I wonder how does it feel like inside there? Yeah. So I've worked at a number of companies before in UX research and done a lot of consulting. And Uber is the most open to qualitative research uh, of any company I've experienced before. Um, we don't have as much of an influence, I think, just because of scale. So while our ratios yeah. are better, we're still a smaller group uh-huh. within the company. But I think overall we've had been able to have some pretty significant impacts at the company with qualitative data. Um, and quant is always going to be important when you have a, a company that is so data centric. Right. Uh, but I think we've, I think we're, we're pretty good. I wouldn't say it's exact parity, but we're, we're pretty close. 
Yeah, let me hear a little bit about how you just like how you manage a team of more than fifty, uh, with with a, a good quarter of them outside of the outside the country. I am always, uh, in, in particular, interested in the like centralized versus decentralized conversation. Like, mm. should a user research team be almost like an internal consultancy, or should it be f- deeply integrated into the product teams? But then, how do they? like connect with their peers and and just, I don't know, how do you manage all that? I think my perspective has been unique since I spent more than seven of my eight years at Google distributed. So I had the experience of being a distributed manager and researcher in that time Um, and um, went through like the centralized to then more decentralized phases also during that experience. Um, Where to start? Um, (laughs) My philosophy is is that, um, and this is how we're organized at Uber currently, which is um, our researchers are embedded in product areas, say rider or driver. And we do that because um, for research in particular, you know, uh, I feel anyway that it's really important that we understand the user types, right? We need to do deep research to understand who these people are and how to how to connect with them in the different products that we're building. And that if you spend a lot of time um, changing projects outside, like so if you did rider and then you did driver and then you did Uber for business and then you did safety, um, you might not learn kind of the deep knowledge that you need to have enabled to, um, right. to enable the kinds of insights that um, have a, have a depth to them that can really affect the product development. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean they can't do side projects and we try and do cross area collaboration so people understand the full marketplace. But I think there's a um, importance to have some specialization of knowledge. Um, and then the way we operate is um, while all the researchers report up through my organization, um, we, uh, you know, they, I have a fantastic team of managers who focus on the particular areas, so rider, driver, global, marketplace. Um, and they, you know, they're my um, eyes on the ground to make sure that things are operating smoothly. Um, and so while we're centralized and everyone reports to me, um, everyone, everyone then also has within that community people they can talk to about methodology. We have peer mentoring. Um, and, you know, we're able to really um, work together in a model I call um, independent but not alone. Mm. So, you know, everyone is able to be very autonomous, to focus on their area, to have a, you know, have an, a scope of influence. Um, but if they're doing something new and they need advice or they, you know, want to do something on safety and it goes across rider, driver and marketplace, you know, they can make that happen. So Interesting. And how does it play out physically? Like, do uh, people sit with their teams or do you guys all sit together? Um, most people sit with their teams, although we'll be changing that now and we're going to try sitting together and mm. see how that works. Um, at least in some like larger clusters, we, we don't, um, we're running out of space in our offices, so we'll do the best we can. Uh, and then um, people will probably then go sit with their teams a couple days a week, uh, um, interesting. you know, mm. kind of kind of break it up a little bit are you still there on market street you were going to move to oakland or something but i don't is that still was that going to happen no, the, oakland is not going to happen oh, okay 
which is too bad that um yes on market and then there's a uh, a building being built uh in the dog patch area so oh, nice. I, didn't, I didn't realize that cool yeah so great neighborhood um yeah uh, so, all right. So interesting. You're going to change it up a little bit and get the team a little more cohesive and sitting with each other and, uh, but still feeling very independent and kind of part of the, the, the product team or the, uh, yeah. how, however it's sort of designated over there. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. And then uh, that, uh, giving some, uh, more opportunity for, uh, I just imagine the, 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 the methodologies that you use evolving over time and trying to keep everybody up to date and, um, challenging each other to do better and things like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the things that I started doing um, in my previous roles and have found to be extremely helpful is um, because we have a distributed team, uh, we all have to build up social capital and get to know each other so that we can know who to reach out to or, you know, how to put the community together. So every six months we do an offsite. Uh, We all come together for two days. Um, We learn something we, we you know usually there's a learning slash fun part and then um, we'll have people share methodologies and we'll also talk about any major initiatives that we want to be working on for the next six months um, our last one that we just did in September um, we took an improv class uh, together as a group um, which was fantastically fun and funny um, but also helped us you know get more in the yes and mindset as we think about um, developing new methodologies or changing up our work. Um, and so I think that, um, doing that has become a core part of my management philosophy. Yeah. I have, um, I've long been an advocate of that sort of yes. And, um, improv kind of approach to, in in my case, sort of, uh, like product brainstorming, Mm -hmm. uh, and the interplay between, especially, uh, team members from different disciplines, uh, as a way of, um, I think fostering a lot more creativity, but it's interesting to hear in that context as well. That so you actually took them, put them all on stage, and, and them, yeah, yeah, it's uh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we worked with a local group here that does these improv classes, and um, they did a great job of really making it very comfortable for everyone to loosen up in front of each other. Um, and it it you know one person who went in completely terrified. He was like, I don't want to do this. I don't think this is going to be fun. He left and he was like, that was amazing. Can we do it again? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I can, I it's hard. Like when you're a manager, like you want to be respectful of different personality types and I know. Uh, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's, um, uh, that's sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Hey, are you a freelancer? Then you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers that's ridiculously easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Let me give you just two examples of how they do this. First, FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders, so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. Uh, Here's another one. With the new projects feature, you can share files and messages with your clients, contractors, and employees. You can see how quickly things happen when all of your conversations live in one place. So, if you're listening to this and you're not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of Presentable. No credit card is required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash 
presentable and enter presentable in how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and for all of Relay FM. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned um, that you had been doing a lot of work on the driver app and I'm kind of intrigued by that simply because like, you know, it's a service I use all the time, uh, but that's an aspect of the service that's totally opaque to me. So, um, so tell me a little bit about that and that community and, and just what, what you're doing around that. When I interviewed, I interviewed to manage the driver research team. And um, I similarly, you know, had really no experience of the driver app prior to that, except, you know, seeing someone start the trip when I got in the car. <laughs> and, um, and so I became really fascinated by the driver um, experience. And actually, prior to joining Uber, I signed up and drove for Uber for a couple of weeks um, in my break between my oh. two ro- my previous job and this one. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was a great opportunity to really learn firsthand and, and do it before I had the internal knowledge that one would have once one started at Uber. Um, and it was a fascinating experience. Um, you know, if, if we were to compare, um, it's, it is a two sided marketplace. So we have the, um, rider side and the driver side. Mm -hmm. And, and in many ways it's, it's actually strangely like Google because, you know, if you think about the rider side, you jump in to the app, you do what you need to do to, you know, you do your quick search for your location, you connect with a driver, and then you're kind of out of the app in a lot of cases, right? It's kind of like search in terms of like going in and doing what you need to do and leaving. And then the driver side is actually a lot like ads, um, which I didn't expect when I did the interviews where, you know, you have something that someone's in maybe eight, 10 hours a day, um, you know, it has to do with them making money. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, extremely complex in terms of the interactions and people aren't necessarily understanding what's happening. So um, that piece has been really fascinating to see. Um, our, our drivers are, are amazing. Uh, I think that, um, you know, they really are the face of Uber's brand in the wild and they give, um, you know, helping them out and helping them find ways to earn money um, is, is, amazing work, both, uh, both at an individual level. So I have met, um, I met a woman driver recently who, uh, was working nights at a, at a big box store and she never saw her kid. Um, right. She, she never, she'd have to leave at five. He'd, you know, he'd come home and her aunt would take care of him. And then she, you know, she had an overnight job and, um, And so she took a leave from the job and drove for two weeks and realized she could make roughly the same amount of money um, driving full time. And then she started, um, she dropped her son off at school and then she'd go on the app and she'd drive until he's done with school and then she could stop and then she could, you know, take him to baseball practice and do all that. And um, that for me was really meaningful to think about how it could transform a single mom's life. Um, and allow her to connect with her children. Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, the driver app, um, I love, I, you know, I oversee everything now and I love all, you know, all of our customers, but for, I have a soft spot for drivers. 
I have to say. <laughs> well, what you're you're describing is that sort of transformative effect of doing sort of in real world user research uh, and the impact it has on the decisions that you make uh, when when you're doing the design work or the, or the development work or whatever. That exposure to real people and the change that the products could potentially make in their lives, um, I think helps to make more humane choices um, rather than the the typical um, across any discipline kind of ego-based choices like I know how to do this I can make this like you know let's make this thing scale like all the different or like let's make this thing beautiful like you know on Mm -hmm. either side of the equation but all of that being driven by ego as opposed to being driven by well frankly like like I've said many times on this podcast a sense of empathy which is what I hear when you're talking about that kind of that kind of experience you witness. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I've now developed both internal empathy as a driver. Um, I've done over 200 trips in the SF area, actually drive every couple of weeks. And I have a lot of empathy for, you know, someone who's been asked to pick up someone in a no pickup zone and they're terrified that they're going to get a $140 ticket from the city of San Francisco. (laughs) But but they also know they don't want to make that rider angry Um, as well as just learning all about these stories of how people are using this flexible platform to be able to live the life that they want to. Mm. And, and what I'll also say is that, um, I mean, it's not perfect, right? Um, There's a lot of opportunity for improvement. And so while Uber has been through a pretty tumultuous year, knowing that I'm there, I'm able to help build empathy within the company for all of our users and really tell their stories. Um, that's been fantastically motivating. I bet. Um, so I'm curious about the, the impact of the, of the research itself. Um, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, like, certainly in informing design, clearly, right? That, mm-hmm. That's baseline. And, and I think um, most of us in our profession feel like we've got that uh, relatively well handled, but moving up a little, a little in the food chain—not up—that sounds pejorative. But um, but uh, uh, moving out from design yeah. to um, the, the decisions that are made in engineering, I kind of get that too. Like, and if you can, if you can do a lot of work to get people on the in the in the code and development side to to witness some of the uh, some of the research, great, and that's the hook, and that's the way in, and. And I, I, I have seen that over and over again with different teams that I've worked with. But it's getting into the business side of things, the business mm. decisions, right? Where are these requirements coming to us from? And how can, yeah. we, how can we bring that sense of, of the, that, that magic that happens when you're witnessing the, the research um, into like not just the business decision that is happening, but the decision makers all the way up to the top? And I yeah. wonder uh, if you just what sort of war stories you have around that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so when I joined um, Uber, um, there was a lot of research being done, but a lot of it was very reactive rather than proactive. Mm. Um, and I think that was the nature of the company scaling and the changes that had been going on. Um, so I started pushing for us on the driver team to do more foundational research um, and think about some of the larger patterns that we were seeing in terms of driver needs. Um, and then kind of uh, about, I guess about a year ago, um, we made a decision um, to get ready for our planning cycle 
um, by putting together a set of eight canonical driver need categories. And those categories, we then slotted previous research in and did additional research to say, these are the areas where we have common driver needs. So things like um, access. So drivers around the world need to be able to get to the opportunity or safety, for example, or, um, you know, um, earnings. So how to get earnings. We came up with these, um, slotted our research and, and then went through a scoring exercise to see where the common, where the, the problems that had the most, um, the biggest impact on the experience, um, and the biggest impact on the opportunity, um, were popping up. Um, then that set of needs was used actually by the business side and the product side to as foundational work towards um, a large campaign that um, that launched in August called 180 Days of Change. Hmm. And it was a coordination across um, business and product marketing um, to make a sustained effort to improve the experience of drivers. Yeah. Uh, and I was really proud that our research was the foundation of that. How did so, that happen? I'm curious. Like, what was the mechanism? How did you get that um, in there? So the previous planning cycle, we had started um, pushing for using um, insights from data science and user research uh, as the foundation of the big rocks that we were tackling. Mm-hmm. And um, that had been successful, and our product team was excited about that and happy. And it, it happened in part because I had made the point to our product leader at that time, Aaron Schildkraut, um, that um, I felt like, w- based on what I was seeing, the problems that Uber had to tackle next were less um, problems, technical problems, but human problems. Yep. Right. Um, so they had you know, this massive marketplace and these amazing technical, you know, infrastructure. But we were getting to the point where um, it's more about the human experience in the car um, for both parties and how were we going to do that. And he was a great partner for us in agreeing with that and pushing for these changes. Um, so in, in part part me, part our, having a great partner mm-hmm. in product and then him partnering with um, our operations team, our business team that helps make those decisions. And, and really we were all seeing a lot of the same things, um, but we just needed to pull together and work together as a group to make this, um, this change. Yeah. 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 It's always a constant theme on the podcast, frankly, as I talk to people who are in positions of leadership, uh, design or user experience leadership, mm-hmm. the uh, the degree to which understanding and and again not in a pejorative way, but understanding the political environment, the relationships that are important to 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 navigate through, um, and how far that feels like when you're starting in your career, how far away that feels when you're starting and like, no, I want to get really good at typography, you know, or whatever, yeah. like um, right. just the distance between that and just the like. Um, Oh, I'm speaking recently to somebody about just the, how uh, ill-equipped we are from an educational perspective for all of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. You know, like that's you can learn that on the job. That's the only way right now, at least. It's remarkable. It is, and um, I think I learned some of this obviously on the job um, at some of the larger companies. But I actually um, 
was just speaking at my alma mater at Georgia Tech and was talking to some of the new master's students who were trying to figure out if they wanted to do design or research or, you know, uh, you know, visual design. And I actually often recommend to people that they go into a consulting business, yeah. you know, work, work for an IDEO or, you know, similar kind of company, because that's when you have to be, you learn a lot more about politics. <laughs> you learn a, 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 a lot about how to go into a situation, assess it and kind of, you know, bring your best tool set to the, to the forefront. Um, I worked in consulting for five years after I got my master's and I think it was hugely helpful for yeah. me in terms of giving me a good grounding in that. Yeah. 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 And plus, you, you know, five years is remarkable. Like you really can't do it for more than two years because if the, <laughs> if the company is doing well, you're going to be totally burned out. And if not, yeah. you know, they let people go all the time, the agencies. Yes. Oh my God, that was super cynical. But <laughs> <laughs> it is a good experience. Like and not only that, but like just subject matters, you get to see so yeah. many right over time. But exactly. So um, many different domains. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I don't think I want to go back, but no. <laughs> it was a good experience. Yeah, it's it's tough. It it, it is. I, I did it for five years as well. Um, wow. And then uh, and then left the company. But the company this is the company we founded, Adaptive Path. Did it? I did the consulting for five years and never liked it. But I but I always enjoyed the the stuff I was working on. Just not the yeah. just not the business, you know. Yeah. Um, but the people who stayed continued and grew it into an amazing thing. And I agree. I don't think I would go back to the, the consulting. Um, but uh, early in, in someone's career, I think it is. I think you're right. I think that is like that's almost like getting the MBA after your after your bachelor's. Right. <laughs> is yeah. uh, you go to design, you, you learn you learn the craft of design and then go off and like get the secondary degree and cheese in, in what the world is really <laughs> like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, let's see, where were we? We were, uh, we were, <laughs> oh, we were talking about the, 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 the 180, day, 180 days yeah. of change and stuff. And now, was that something that, that rolled out sort of globally across all these different places? And what was that like? So the preliminary campaign and set of products that came out in the app, uh, was in the U S first, um, because each of the local markets, um, may or may not have different either regulations or user mm. needs. For the thing, so yep. we didn't roll it out globally um, as a as a large piece, um, but it is going out to all of our other locations in some variation. Mm -hmm. And um, the feedback from drivers has been pretty positive overall, um, which was great um, to see. Um, you know that this kind of came together at a time when you know Uber had a stressful year, but we were able to really put together something. Uh, special and important that helped drivers um, to see that we really value um, the um, their efforts on the platform um, and and the work that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. That sounds really rewarding. Um, I'm wondering about uh, just ch changing the subjects a little bit to talk a little bit more about methodologies um, yeah. and just what uh, what what's n any new sort of techniques or or process to to that you might have adopted or anything like that like are you guys using design sprints uh as as a as a way of of doing this work or other things like that I'm yeah just... um so we we use kind of the full common toolkit of quantitative to qualitative methods to generate research um we have folks who specialize in surveys and field work and and different things like that um and uh 
a few other folks had brought some design sprints to Uber um, prior to my joining. Um, but sprints are something that I have a lot of passion for and did a lot of work on when I was in, uh, when I was at Google. Mm. Um, so we've started, I started doing more, more sprint training, um, and, um, getting that skill set out into the teams. Um, we do move pretty fast, so we've had to adjust some of the methods a little bit to ensure that we're, um, not expecting say the, the kind of typical five day sprint. Um, we've had to be able to shorten things in some cases, uh, which has definitely been a change. Uh, but overall it's, uh, sprints are definitely something that we use quite a bit. It's interesting. Like how do you fit it into context? This is one of the things I've been wondering. It's been a bit of, like, I had Jake Knapp, uh, who's wrote yeah. the book and like gives all the talks and like Mr. Sprint, right. Uh, yeah. love Jake. And he, uh, gave a great overview of the process and how it works and all that kind of stuff, you know, but I talk to other people and they're like, yeah, but that's just such a tiny part of the overall experience of, mm. of, of, of well-functioning kind of user-driven methodologies of product development. Um, and I think it gets a lot of visibility because it is the thing, like you say, like grab the business decision maker, get that person in a room and have them exposed to a design process with a, uh, with user research at the end of it. Um, in a way that they have never done before. And they're like, oh my God, this is transformational. And like, who, yeah. who knew that design and research could be so powerful? Like, well, yeah. yeah, we knew that for a while. But, um, <laughs> but I wonder, yeah. you know, like when you're, when you, I mean, because essentially, like one of, I believe, the roles of a user research person is to teach all of this to the rest of the team, right? Mm -hmm. All of this stuff that we have known forever, like this is yeah. fundamentally the way to de risk your project and to make sure. That uh, it is more inclusive than it has ever been, and, and you know it is a pathway to success. And so your user researcher is out there in the team saying like, no, 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 hey, let's slow down, everybody, let's do it like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder, you know, how how the sprint fit, fit in with the bigger uh, uh, the bigger context and things like that. Sprints, I think sprints can have a real transformational power, um, particularly when they start getting used to help people understand how to move forward. Um, but they're not a catch-all for sure. And there's a lot of the day-to-day -day work that needs to happen outside of the sprint. Um, similar to how I described bringing my team together every six months, uh, the research team as a whole, I think sprints for me often um, you're going to have a deliverable come out of it. There will be something valuable for design and for the team, but the uh, intangible importance of bringing a group of people together, aligning them on a topic, having everyone have a common understanding of what we're trying to tackle. Um, that is one of the most powerful pieces of doing a sprint. And it's, I think it's hard to underestimate how important that is, right? We sit in rooms, we talk about things, and then we go talk with other people or we work on something. And there, everyone might be using the same words, but picturing something else. <laughs> so I, I recently had this happen where we're, we're working on a, a, a tool to help centralize our insights um, at work. And um, we had all had separate conversations, but I realized that we needed a mini sprint just to kind of all get on the same page. We brought together 12 people. Um, you know, we did some structured how might we activities and 
you know, stakeholder mapping. Um, and at the end of it, everyone was like, oh my God, you know, that was incredibly helpful. Can we do this again in two weeks after we've answered XYZ questions and talked with these users? Um, so my definition of sprints tends to be a, a little less um, structured than the Jake's crew's definition. Mm. But I also think we're working in very different contexts, right? Um, I'm often bringing together folks who may not have worked together in the past, um, who don't have kind of that stable, you know, small founder grouping that they've had um, through Google Ventures. Um, so I'm really bringing in people who might not, might only know each other over email or, yep. you know, like that. So um, I think in the grand picture, it's a great tool. You have to really learn when to apply it. Um, you have to be really structured about what you want to get out of it. Um, and, you know, obviously in my world, I have, I believe that, more user research you can bring to the sprint, the better. So actually often um, as part of the homework, the lightning talks have people bring in research they've done sometimes mm -hmm. specifically for the sprint um, or we'll do interviews on the first day to really set up the user needs and then also do the evaluation on the last day or later in the system. So um, I'm, I have a, I have a, I'd say a, a flexible toolkit for sprints, but they're very, very powerful. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. It sounds like you have a lot of confidence in your team too. And I like that a lot, like getting them out there and, and into those situations. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, you must do a ton of recruiting and hiring um, for, you know, a team that size and, and, and you at the, uh, in the leadership position. How, how do you, uh, how do you hire user researchers? <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's uh, I do a lot of recruiting and hiring, and uh, we are hiring right now, which is great. Um, and um, what I what I look for um, are a couple of things. So one is um, a really strong experimental methodology. So you know, folks who've had a lot of experience, um, if they're more junior, maybe you know, it was in sociology or psychology class at, at college. Um, if they're more senior, you know, have they been working at a place where they're doing, um, you know, they're doing a variety of experiments, um, the ability to understand that while they would like to design the perfect experiment, um, understanding what trade-offs they'll probably need to make and what that will impact. So if you, if you don't feel like you can actually, you can actually reach users who are a hundred percent of your target for whatever reason, maybe they're very challenging to find, or we don't quite know, know how to, you know, uh, access them yet. Um, if you get users who are 80% of the target, what does that mean to your findings and mm -hmm. how will you be able to think about applying that knowledge in a different way? Um, I, try very hard to get a diversity of background and experience at Uber because, um, because of the global nature, because of the variety of domains and users that we have. Um, I want my team to, you know, have a diverse skill set that will allow and experience in life that will allow them to, um, understand a deeper point about different subjects. So for example, we have a researcher who spent a fair amount of time um, as a um, financial reporter and 
Um, and then she went into research and um, she's working with our marketplace team, right? She understands finance. She has a great background in economics and um, all that kind of information, which you really need if you're going to work with our marketplace team. That's the brain that does the matching between riders and drivers. Um, so, yeah, so those are some of the things I look for. Um, and then just a passion to learn about people, right? Mm, yep. Just a lot of curiosity around humans and why they do what they do. Um, and, uh, you know, really having that curiosity is, is essential. That's yeah. Interesting. Um, that you mentioned earlier, a, a uh, educational background in, in psychology or so- sociology, um, and, and really like the underpinnings of ethnography and so much of this work, um, it just strikes me that now we, we have people coming up into the workforce that have been trained in some of this stuff that was just so, uh, it just feels like it was so, um, uh, I don't know, I feel like we made so much stuff up. Like we were, ri- <laughs> we were rigorous in how we did it. And I'm talking about 15 years ago, like when we started uh-huh. adapt- adaptive path, there yeah. was, there was very clearly this, this, um, there was all the work, the work of, you know, psychologists and ethnographers and things like that, and understanding the appropriate way to gather data and, and, um, and understand populations that you're trying to study and things like that. Um, none of us were experts in any of that. Um, but, but tried to at least appreciate and learn what we could about that. And then the other side, the human computer interaction world, right. Which was, um, very, had a very almost quantitative approach to this kind of, you know, counting, uh, missed click targets and, you know, that yeah. level of, of stuff and, um, and trying to blend that all together, um, to, to think now that people could actually become trained in this idea of like, you can apply this stuff in a very meaningful way to business, uh, uh, and, and to the design work that we do. I don't know. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's been great to see the transformation. Um, I've been in the, this area for 16 years now and did a little reflecting recently about some of the changes. I think um, one of the big things I'm seeing uh, in my interactions at work and in the general marketplace is the, like the importance of user experience has only increased. So the technology baseline for what a person could do, say my nephew in his basement, um, it's pretty, it's, pretty accessible, right? Like there's a lot of basic technology access um, and creation that people can have. And so the real differentiator is the human, right? Uh, Is getting that user experience, right? It's creating the product market fit that um, that's really compelling. Um, And so I'm just seeing, you know, huge demand for the kinds of insights and um, discussions that we can have when you're really, you know, talking about people. Um, and that's really exciting, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And that's a really, uh, that's a good note to end on too. It is really all, all about that. <laughs> uh, Molly, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Uh, I've got, let's see, Molly Mel at, uh, Twitter. Yeah. It's people can follow you there. Um, and I've, I've pulled up actually a couple of, uh, interesting case studies on the Uber site around putting drivers first and things like that. I'll link over to that too as well. Anything else you want to uh, point out? No, I just want to say thanks for having me. It's great to meet remotely and look forward to seeing you again. That sounds good. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's another episode of Presentable. 
Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean, and this was Presentable. Presentable.